So how much are you worth? I have no idea. How much do you want? I just want to know what you're worth. More than 10 million? Oh my yes. Why are you doing it? How much better can you eat? What could you buy that you can't afford already? The future. The future. Now where's the girl? It sounds familiar and I, I feel like I know it, but I, I cannot. Your first hint would be you saw it this year and you really liked it. I saw it this year mm-hmm. and I really liked it. Like super liked it. Was it Bullet Train? No, it's a little older than that. A little older. I saw it this year. Big fan of the genre. Big, big fan. Ah, is it Chinatown? Well, you know, Joey, it is Chinatown. Joe's Movie Clubcast. This is Justin. And I'm Joey. Alright, we've decided we're not too old for this shit already as we tackle another one of my all-time favorite movies with There Will Be Blood from Paul Thomas Anderson. Plus, they may be gentlemen, but they sure do a lot of kicking ass as we check out Joey's pick, that uh, first Kingsman movie, The Secret Service from 2014. And just a heads up, we do discuss our full thoughts on these films. So if you've not seen one, uh, skip before, skip ahead to avoid rust. Um, any spoilers, <laughs> or you know, pause, go watch, come back, and then you know, have fun, all that cool stuff. Make sure to be be a part of the movie club cast yourself. I know we're not getting together as much lately, but when we do, it's good times. Hit that subscribe button, the bell notification, so you can hear from us when we are new. Like right now. Right now. Hopefully, maybe summer. So I know summer's rough, uh, usually, uh, for you with all the different stuff you have going on, your vacations and what have you. And I've had a very just weird and rough summer. So hopefully going forward, it'll be a little bit more regular if we can manage it. You have contacts in? I'm, I'm so not used to seeing you with glass, uh, no, no glasses. <laughs> no, they were just dirty. Oh, that's better. <laughs> okay. I mean, I can go put some in if you want, but I don't... No, t- you're fine. T- 
typically wear those unless I'm like driving a long time or something. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, very busy summer with camps and vacations and so forth. But yeah, kids had went back to school last week. Um, but geez, with fall activities, it's just more craziness. So <laughs> definitely not going to be in any kind of groove. Probably less sleep. So how you been? I mean, I've been all right. I've been making it just, uh, you know, trying to get, tr trying to literally survive. Um, so, uh, pretty, pretty new job, still trying to, to financially recover, but you know, I'm, I'm making it and, uh, yeah, I'm here to talk about some movies and have a good damn time. Cool beans. With that being said, let's get into what we've been watching lately with the good, the bad, and the ugly. All right, so I didn't hide that part of the script. <laughs> Anyways, so mine are as wacky as Trouble Gets, Purple Cobras, and Classically Generic, I guess. Well, I only have two. I'll show you how little movies I've been watching. I have Nostalgia City... <laughs> And still pretty funny. Okay. What's nostalgic for you these days? Oh, well, I guess if we want to go... You have three and I have two. You should go, I should go. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, well, we'll just do as wacky okay. awesome as trouble gets. Since you... Okay, so... Uh, the night before school got back in session, I wanted to watch something with the kiddos, so we popped in Big Trouble in Little China. Have you seen... Said John Carpenter film. Yes. Yes. Yes, I have. Big Trouble in Big Trouble in Little China is fantastic. It's weird because it flies by. It's crazy as shit, and then like afterwards, you're like, "Wait, what happened? In that movie again?" Um, yeah, I had the hardest time remembering what was going on with the plot here, but I mean, essentially, you know, like he gets wrapped up in this um, this crazy Chinatown underworld like magical thing and. This uh, guy is trying to come back to life by getting this green-eyed green girl, and his girl gets in, wrapped up in it, and yeah, just all kinds of craziness. Kim um, Cattrall, guys with big old raiding hats doing uh, from Sex in the City. Yeah. Oh, it's funny that you say yeah. the raiding hats. I, I'm pretty sure that is exactly where Raiden came from, was that movie, mm -hmm. if I am not mistaken. Because I think even... If you remember, if, if you, you know, won with Raiden, he would do the little thing where he'd put his hands up on each side and uh -huh. I'm pretty sure they do that in that movie too if my memory serves I was like they just literally stole Raiden straight from that movie uh -huh. yep and then you have this like wild like yeti creature like kind of you know hiding around the corner and then like the baddie turns into this crazy uh, um, wizard kind of guy with like glowing eyes and mouth so um, yeah craziness all around the kids uh I tried to show it to them a couple years ago, but they fell asleep when we were watching on New Year's Eve. But they made it through it this time, and yeah, I thought it was an okay show. So, <laughs> this was one of the movies. This this is the first movie I ever saw on Laserdisc. I oh, um, Laser went to my uh, uncle's cabin, and yeah, he had a Laserdisc collection, and he thought we could have some fun watching that one. So he oh, wasn't wrong. Nice. I've only ever seen one Jack thing Burton, on Laserdisc. Right? Ah, yes, Jack Burton. Yeah. And the only thing I ever saw on Laserdisc was in school. And it was... Um, oh, weird. It was like the wilds of Africa. But I just remember 
that the substitute teacher pronounced it like the wilds of Africa and that we all uh, made fun of them for the rest of the day. <laughs> and clearly, 20-something years later, it's still stuck in my head, so. Hmm. Quite the moment. All right, now let's get nostalgic with Joey. All right, Nostalgia City. Well, the movie itself is not nostalgic because the movie itself is uh, from this year. But anybody that's around our age that grew up in the 80s and into the 90s it was all about Super Mario Brothers, and it just hit on all the right notes and beats. You got all of the like the throwbacks to like Jumpman and like Mario versus Donkey Kong, um, and then all your different Mario Karts and Smash Brothers, and um, just all you know. They did a really good job of incorporating like all the different suits and Mario's and all that kind of stuff. It was it was a lot of fun. It was it was. It was a good time. Um, I think my my only real gripe was they had all of this licensed music in there, and there's the scene where they're going into like Bowser, and they just have generic metal. So there's no, they didn't go and get you know an Ozzy song or you know a Metallica song or something else. And then I know Carl Carl's big gripe was um they used I don't remember one of the licensed songs when they were starting to do the. The first thing on um, on the carts when they got to DK World and um, okay. instead of Jungle Japes. And it's like, yeah, they could have saved the money, used Jungle Japes, and then had a, a non-generic metal song. But yeah, no, it was a lot of yeah. fun. It was, a, it, was, it was a lot of fun. Um, yeah, I think I talked about this a few uh, episodes ago. Definitely um, enjoyed it as well, all the... Numerous references, and I, yeah, I think I still think the 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 fact that they actually did like platforming in the movie was was pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah, squeeze that in. Yeah, no, it was. I think it was very well done. Um, and surprisingly, it like to me, it didn't sound like Star Lord as Mario. That was kind of one of the things I was worried about was that it was just going to sound like Star Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think he did a. I think he did a really good job. I think all the characters did a really good job. I mean, there was no way to not tell that that was Jack Black as Bowser, though, especially once he started singing. It was like, bro, this is some tenacious D up in here. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, no. Nah, it, it was. Though. Yeah, oh, yeah, no. It was It was hella good. Um, so. That is, you know, free to right, stream on TikTok for anybody who wants to watch that. Uh, okay. Yeah, that's how I watched it on the Peacock. Um. All right, just uh, what's what's classically generic? You guess. All right, so there was this evening where I found myself with actually nothing to watch, uh, nothing that I wanted to particularly dive into, anyways. So I scrolled through Disney Plus looking for some nostalgic gems, and there was something I had never seen before: Turner and Hooch with Tom Hanks. This oh, is boy. only an hour and a half buddy cop dog movie, and. It has every story beat you could possibly imagine from a buddy cop movie with dogs. Um, yeah, extremely generic, but um, I mean, I can see how, like, I, I thought it was going to be more of a classic, um, but just hitting all those same beats that we've seen over and over and over, you know, kind of diminished that. This might have actually inspired some of those beats, so maybe it's held up in greater regard that in that aspect, but... Um, I think uh, Beethoven did this this movie way better 
and we didn't have to see uh, Tom Hanks walking around in his black underpants. Oh, you don't you don't you don't like Tom Hanks's black underpants? No, I was more into the family from Beethoven. All right, fair enough. You grew fair up with enough. that one, so I guess that that. Uh, have you uh, have you seen Turner and Hooch? It has been a long, long time. I saw it. Oh, shit, twenty, probably over twenty years ago. Like, I don't remember much other than it was a it was like a a hound, right? It was like a hound dog. Um, and he yeah, it's a big everywhere. dog. It's a big ugly dog, and yeah, with me like not Beethoven. being the biggest fan, yeah, essentially. But I think Beethoven's a better looking dog. This dog looked pretty, pretty, pretty rough. So um, yeah, well, I mean, Beethoven that part was wasn't a, winning me a over. Bernard, right? A Saint Bernard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good yeah. looking dog. Yeah, got that dog in him. I actually found a thing called it's called One Minute Animals or something on YouTube. They have like shorts, and then like. They do this whole like at least like a 60 second clip about like all like these different jo- uh, dog uh, breeds and stuff. It's pretty cool uh, learning. Okay, Kinda that's find cool. out what each dog is like. It's like was bred for and what they're good for. Not that I'm getting a dog anytime soon. We just got a new cat, but uh, I mean, it's, it's always the wife good about to these things. Good to have the information, just general knowledge. Yeah, but um, yeah, Turner and Hooch it was is an okay watch, but um. Kind of seemed like I'd already watched it before, since it, not not much fresh there. All right, so for still pretty funny for me, uh, was this is the end. Okay. I hadn't seen that since, either in theaters or like shortly after theaters. So you know, like ten years or so, and you know, it didn't hold up one hundred percent great. Um, but it was still pretty funny. I mean, it's a lot of really funny people in the movie playing exaggerated versions of themselves and you know the end of the world especially jonah hill yeah jonah hill uh and michael Sarah just on cocaine um so yeah he got killed in there right yes a lot of people got killed he he also got killed um channing i'm surprised that ended up having like that's the movie where like they do something like noble and they get sent to heaven or like yes during the apocalypse giant demon (laughs) <laughs> yes, there's a giant demon, and um, so Craig Robinson was the first one. Once they were in the apocalypse, he like sacrificed himself and got saved. And then um, Seth Rogen and um, oh, I can't think of his name. <laughs> he was he's in like all of those movies with them. Um, but oh, the main character. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, yeah. I can't think of his his real name. But yes, they end up getting beamed up. I, and, is, is, is it Goldberg something? It's not Adam I, Goldberg, is it? No, no. Um, I mean, give me like three seconds, I will tell you. Because uh, I have this boop, boop. this one different thing here called the interwebs. <laughs> um, oh, it's it's Jay Barshell. Barshell. Yeah, Jay Barshell. Yeah, I'm not... not. I was like, I'm his writing partner, Evan Goldberg. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um, But I mean, yeah, and the cast was stacked. I mean, you had Danny McBride and then all of the bit people, you know, Christopher Mintz, please, and Emma Watson and Mindy Kaling and Rihanna and Paul Rudd and Channing Tate Yum and Kevin Hart and then the Backstreet Boys. And so, yeah, no. Um, I think my favorite part was... I think this is the movie I discovered. Oh, go ahead. I think one of my favorite parts was they're all in the confessional... And uh, like Hermione just stole our shit. Oh yeah, 
So this was the movie where I learned I wasn't a Danny McBride fan. Not yeah, not a fan. I mean, he's you... just the same. Danny McBride is the he is the guy from Eastbound and Down in everything, and I don't know if that's because that's him or whatever. But he was literally the same guy from Eastbound and Down as he was in This Is the End. Like, I want him for a little while, and that's really about it. I don't want him for like a long period of time. But like I said, it okay. It was still pretty funny. Sounds like we're on the same page. Yeah, it just didn't, uh, like, I remember watching this in the theater, and me and my buddies were, like, literally falling out of our chairs. But, you know, it was ten years ago, so. <laughs> yeah. I had a vibe. Yeah. But was that for Eastbound and Down or this movie? For This is the End. Eastbound and Down, I think I watched the first, like, the whole first season. I mean, it was a pretty decent show, but it's also just kind of... I, I couldn't imagine now, like, you know, another 10 years or so from it to just how different it probably would register. What kind of show is it? I've never watched it. Um, So Danny McBride is a former major league picture or mate. Yeah. And he's like at the end of his career, but he's still trying to like hold on and like get back into like the minors and get back like to the major leagues. And uh, he's, like, back home where, like, he went to high school. And so, like, he's supposed to be, like, this big stud. But um, he, he either got suspended for drugs. Like, yeah, I don't know. He, he was, like, a bad boy, partier, all that kind of stuff. And he just, um, like, he ends up, like, coaching ball um, at the high school. And so he has to be a teacher. And it's it's just, you know, shenanigans. What channel was that on, like, FX? It was, it was HBO. Okay. Yeah, it's a it's a full fledged, say whatever you want, show whatever you want, kind of thing. Mm. It does kind of feel like okay. an FX show, um, in that vein though. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I've never saw Curb Your Enthusiasm and that, and yeah, there's some of these shorter um, HBO shows I never got into. Yeah, I never saw Curb either. Kind of want to rewatch Sopranos, but that's so long. Hmm. <laughs> That about 10 years ago. <laughs> all right. Well, that Tell was the about... first time I'd seen it. I wasn't even a rewatch. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I've only seen it all the way through like one time. I've seen probably some of the seasons more than once, but I think I've only seen the whole show like once, yeah. All right, so tell me tell me about these, uh, these purple cobras. Um, yeah, I finally saw Dodgeball for the first time. That was kind of random. Um, on Netflix, and no, we did not name the Average Joe's Movie Club cast anything off of this movie, because, yeah, it wasn't, I mean, I think I knew it was kind of a thing, but, yeah, the Average Joe's is all over this movie. Um, you know, it's a typical, silly, um, sports movie. Actually, that's kind of, the, that gives it kind of a twist, is it's this uh, raunchy kind of movie, but it's also tied in with, like, this underdog sports um, cliches with Vince Vaughn being like he didn't even really want to be a part of the team and but they kind of drag him along anyways um, Ben Stiller he has a real knack for um, doing like hyper crazy gym people because see he's in um, heavyweights is kind of that kind of type that type and then he's also in this and um, yeah the so the whole premise is they this Globo gym wants to buy um, buy out this piece of shit gym the average Joe's gym on the other side of the street and then they engage in some dodgeball tournament action in order to make it so they don't get bought out. 
Um, if you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball. Everybody knows on, that line. And um, on ESPN, the Ocho, which they oh, the still Ocho. every once in a yes. while will do the Ocho. Um, also, nice. nobody makes me bleed my own blood. Nobody. Oh, yeah, I do remember that. I do, I do remember yeah. that line. Yeah. So uh, yeah, that was a, that. I was a lot raunchier than I thought. I, um, going in, uh, so the kids got some of that. But um, you know, was, can't ever go wrong with a crazy comedy on late at night. They they thought a few parts were funny. I mean, it's just a little bit of raunch. It'll be okay. It'll be alright. I think one part I didn't really even pay attention to in my review was the fact that I think they they like do like they go against like this hip hop team and like a lumberjack team. So all the the real the the weird themes um, of the the other teams they take down were all kind of pretty goofy as well. Yeah, that sounds about right. It's been a long time since I've seen that too. So, but all right, let's get into our feature movie one, and we're starting off with my pick. There Will Be Blood from 2007. It's an American period drama written and directed by Paul Thomas Anderson, loosely based on the 1927 novel Oil by Upton Sinclair. It stars Daniel Day-Lewis as Daniel Plainview, an oil man on a ruthless quest for wealth during a Southern California's oil boom and forms a contentious relationship with a local holy roller played by Paul Dano. So, hold a few fun facts for us to chew on before we get into the plot here. Um, All right. So the guy who, the kid who played H.W., his name was uh, Dylan Brazier, and uh, this was his one and only movie. So kudos to him. Yeah, he did. He did a really good job. I think that his mother had never heard of um, uh, um. Daniel Day-Lewis uh, before this and uh, saw him in um, Gangs of New York and was, was quite uh, was still pretty uh, um, nervous about having her son work with him after that performance so I think they sent him something a little sent her something a little bit more mild like um, Age of Innocence to show her show her his softer side <laughs> I mean yeah I mean but it's just a movie like obviously he's just <sighs> I mean, not that he was any better in this movie as as a character, as a the character of his character. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, as you probably know, No Country for Old Men. They were um, both in the Oscar race that year, and there's a fun fact that some of the smoke clouds that they used for testing during the uh, the oil um, rigged uh, fire scene uh, could be seen from the No Country from Old Men set, and so. Messing up with the the Coens we're working on there, even though they came out with the last laugh. So, um, the odd, mm-hmm. oddly enough, mentioning No Country for Old Men. So yeah, they both came out like that same year for the Oscar. I watched both of those movies, um, like once they released on Blu-ray. I I don't I don't know if I borrowed them from Johnny or or how I went about watching them, but I watched both of them, and was neither was mm-hmm. super not impressed with either one of them. And then now having many years later, I went back and watched both of them, having watched way more movies, on both, especially by the Coens, and watched some other PTA stuff. Um, I definitely enjoyed both of them a lot more. Um, I definitely like No Country for Old Men. I think it's uh, more than There Will Be Blood. And I definitely think, I think overall it is a, a, a better movie. 
but I am a little surprised that There Will Be Blood didn't win the best picture because it just definitely feels like it's more of a an Oscar baiting movie where No Country for Old Men borders on hmm. borders on being an action movie at points. Um, mm-hmm. And as you know, and, that and, and a like a more ambiguous too. So yeah, um, that and just I mean, and as good as Javier Bardem was. In No Country for Old Men, mm-hmm. I mean, like, Daniel Day-Lewis, like I said in my review on Letterboxd, he's, it's hard to deny that he is, if he's not the goat of acting, he's one of them, at least in modern times. Like, he can do whatever he wants, like, and it's absurd. Mm-hmm. Some more fun facts here. The infamous I Drink Your Milkshake is um, part of a real quote, actually. Apparently, PTA found a metaphor and a congressive... Uh, a congressive transcripts from the 1920s teapot dome scandal. So there you go. So this we what historical do, relevance. Do, do we know what the 1920s teapot dome scandal is? Because I that is not a thing I am familiar with. It has something to do with the oil. I guess we can look that up real quick. Let's say yeah. Let's see teapot. I can type. There it is. It's like the first thing that comes up. It was a bribery scandal involving the administration of U.S. President Warren G. Harding from 1921 to 1923. Uh, Secretary of the Interior Albert Fall had leased Navy petroleum reserves at the Teapot Dome in Wyoming, as well as two locations in California, to private oil companies at low rates without competitive bidding. The leases were the subject of a seminal investigation by Senator Thomas J. Walsh, Convicted of accepting bribes from the oil companies, uh, Fall became the first presidential cabinet member to go to prison. No one was convicted of paying the bribes. And this was before Watergate regarded as the greatest and most sensational scandal in the history of American politics. Oh, wow. All right. 1920s for you. <laughs> come come for the movie Let's reviews see. and stay for the history lessons. <laughs> Here you go. As of 2012, uh, that's this movie earned 76 million dollars worldwide and more than three times the budget. Um, and is uh, PTA's most pros- pro- profitable movie. Oh wow! I thought um, it would have been. Court- um, I would have thought it would have been Boogie Nights, but maybe because that one was a little bit, a little bit earlier from them and kind of got cult, cult cult status instead of. Because I think that was like his. Second big movie. Um, actually, maybe his first big movie now, I think, because um, his first one, jeez, um, why am I blanking on the name of that one? PTA Filmography. Yeah, I can't, I can't help you. Um, this is our second PTA on the podcast, right? Because we also did Inherent Vice. Uh, yep, that's the one. And Heart Eight is, the, um, is his first one. His first movie, not as well known, and I believe, um, yeah, Boogie Nights came out the following year. So yeah, that was that was definitely early, early, early on. And a lot of his m- other movies have been kind of not the most audience friendly affairs, which maybe why I like him so much. Um, oh, I do want Thomas wanna... Anderson direct. Uh huh. As I say, I did want to see Punch Drunk Love. I keep forgetting that's by him. Oh yeah, it's in the collection too. Adam Sandler. Yes, it is. Yeah, it's a weird one. Pretty fun. Um, but I was going to say, uh, so PTA and his crew were pretty loose about where scenes would take place. 
sometimes they they meant filming scenes three or four hours in different locations and evaluating and the result each time. So a little Kubricky in there with doing things over and over and over again to get them right. Yeah, that sounds um, sounds pretty right. Um, and I guess on that note, um, yeah. oh, excuse me. Also, I'm sure you read Carl's review. Uh, my roommate for those who aren't keeping up or have or new or forgotten um i think in his review of this movie when we watched it talked about how mm -hmm. it was hugely influenced by kubrick um mm -hmm. which would make a lot of sense since you you know you love kubrick and that you love pta but i also thought it was funny whereas like i don't i don't typically like kubrick that i enjoyed this movie with it being heavily influenced in a lot of ways by Kubrick's. I thought that was kind of an interesting. Okay. I remember that, man. So, I remember when this didn't win against uh, No Country for Old Men, but I remember the um, the title of it really standing out to me. And just one night on, like, on demand on my cable box, I was just flicking through and I was like, just watched it randomly and just laying on my couch, I was like, completely like swept away by this whole idea of this guy down in the mine and you know he's doing his thing and he got this really creepy music and then somehow he drags himself all the way back to town it's just the whole beginning of this movie i just remember being so like just getting wrapped up in it and um it's surprising how some of the details kind of got by me from there but um we'll get there um let's see so yeah i've seen this about five or six times had a couple issues the first couple times and those would be the fact that um, I was really thrown by Paul and Eli being both being played by Dano the first time. I was kind of, I guess, not being as familiar with the plot the first couple times. Um, that threw me for kind of a loop. And then um, the whole trek to the sea part with um, the guy he thinks is his half-brother. Um, for some reason, I thought that really dragged out. But um, gosh, this and this last, this last viewing, I think it's probably my fifth viewing of it. Um, it just all clicked together pretty seamlessly, and I'm kind of <laughs> surprised it hasn't worked for me this well before. I knew I loved it, but this has definitely been the best uh, watch I've had thus far. What are some of your opening thoughts on it? Um, I definitely, for a while, we were talking about um, the two brothers, the twins being, you know, being played by the same person since they're twins. I definitely did for a while think that maybe, um, like the. The, the brother, the it's Eli and Eli's the, the crazy um, minister one and um, Paul we only see the one time. Yeah. So I thought maybe Paul was just like 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 that Eli had done it as like a joke, like not as a joke, but as like a deception, like, hey, I'm you know, I'm this twin brother or whatever and it, it was like a joke mm -hmm. or it was supposed to be something that we yeah kind of was getting to... something like that the first time too so and and then you know they mention him like they never show him again but he's mentioned a few times and especially in the big scene at the end um so you're like okay this 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 was his brother but it was just it was just weird that he was never never seen or anything else in anywhere else in the movie outside of that that first scene mm -hmm. it kind of seems like a mistake they wanted to distance themselves from and and it bothered me the first couple times but and you kind of get over it whenever you're used to saying it. Um, okay. And again, yeah, just can you even imagine? You know, like 
not only dragging yourself out of a mine, but, you know, all the way to town to sell some gold or silver. I mean, I guess, um, kind of reminds me of, uh, what Treasure of the Sierra Madre, which I think that was one of the um, PTA's favorite films. And he watched that and this other one that has, uh, James Dean in it called Giant or some of his favorite Westerns. I think him and Daniel Day-Lewis watched those a couple times while making this. So something to look out for. Okay. Yeah. I mean, Treasure Sierra Madre is very good. I watched that earlier this year. Um, I did think that the dude I in, in now that's been a couple of days, so maybe I'm I'm not remembering it right, but he left his pack and stuff down in the mine, lit lit the fuse, ran up the stairs, and then tried to hoist the bag of stuff out. And then the, it exploded, and that's what caused him to fall and break his leg, right? Uh, the ladder broke on him, which probably got weakened by the explosion. Yeah, so this is why, why didn't he just take his stuff out first, go back down, light the dynamite, go back up? But, yeah, I couldn't imagine dragging myself out of a mine with a broken leg and then dragging myself to town. That is absurd. Yeah, that's quite hardcore, especially with the most ominous desert hill ever <laughs> with those uh that awesome johnny greenwood score um let's see here oh um i was listening to a debate recently about how much you think um daniel actually does appreciate hw like in some pr you can kind of see on one end because i mean he he self-admittedly you know he just calls him a uh, what a bastard and basket at the very end and you know, like cast him off, but like throughout watch it, you can tell like how much HW means to Daniel, like a whole lot. Cause let's see, gosh, where do you even start with that? Um, oh yeah, that's that I mean, is a whole a whole can of worms, um, right there. Um, cause yeah, like you said at the end when when Daniel says he wants to go or HW says he wants to go out on his own and he tells him his competitor and he says, mm -hmm. you're not even my son. You know, you're just a bastard in a, in a basket is like, so, and that, he, you know, he just used him to sell, you know, he used this cute face or whatever to sell oils. Like he does, it does present him as a family man and it makes him more trustworthy. So mm -hmm. did he keep up that ruse or was, or did it start as a ruse? And over time, you know, he actually became to care for him. I mean, you saw how he, he, mm -hmm. you know, tried to make sure it was okay after the rig explosion. Um, yep. And then, and then, you know, even sent him to like a special school, which, you know, sent him away, but he, you know, he sent him to a special school and, you know, mm -hmm. where he could have just cast him off or, you know, something like that. But, or was he that good of a con man that the con, that he was that invested in keeping the con and appearances up to, to keep his appearance of himself up. Um, but then, you know, he has, you have the whole scene in the restaurant where the, um, and trying to get the steak and the whiskey and all of that stuff. And he, you know, tells the guy, if you talk about my mm -hmm. kid, I'm going to slit your throat. And so it's, that's a, that's a really, you know, could e either way, I think, like, I, I think, you know, you have to kind of, maybe it's left open for interpretation kind of thing. In some ways, sure. Um, one thing that I found really striking this time is like, so he does send him away shortly after he, because um, he can't deal with it. Like, he 
he's so good at like accumulating wealth, but he's like not good at like people. And like he says, he can't stand people. But at the same time, he becomes so attached to HW. Um, and it's almost like he can't deal with it because he has the success of this new well and he has his like half brother come into the mix and now all of a sudden he can't even communicate with HW. He just wants him to go to bed immediately. Like he pours like half a thing of like some kind of alcohol into his milk and forces him to drink it. And that's the night that, um, you know, he tries to set fire to the guy. Uh, I'm curious, the wiki suggests that he did it out of, um, that he was jealous of the guys getting Daniel's attention. Um, I don't know. For some reason, I have this hunch that he, he was kind of on to him, um, especially because he was kind of thumbing through his diary or whatever. So any uh, any take on that one? Yeah, it was another thing like I because you, you see him thumbing through the diary and then he then he sets fire. And it's, you know, maybe maybe it was some sort of jealousy, you know, maybe he feels like he's being replaced. But you know, now he can't hear, so he doesn't know what in the hell is going on. And, but, or, or, you know, maybe he had figured out that this dude was, in fact, a fraud. Um, and, you know, we found out later that the, the diary was the diary of Daniel's brother. It just wasn't that guy's diary. Um, so I, I don't know. That's, uh-huh. that's really, you know, really hard to say. Um, uh-huh. And I had like completely forgotten about that part, so I was like, "Holy shit!" <laughs> yeah, and it's like Daniel can't even like deal with the fact that you know his his son is in this situation now, so he distances himself as quickly as possible. Like I think because he finds that the best thing for the relationship, even though HW quite um, doesn't is not a fan of that, as we see whenever he, he returns. Yeah, it's an interesting concept to think of how, like, the only real family that um, Daniel ends up getting is the family that he makes for himself, his partners and his son that he he took on and so forth. And, um, but the disappointment is an interesting thing to think of because, like, this guy that comes to him as his, like, half-brother, you know, he's... He's uh, saying all this stuff about his past and, you know, he comes to trust him for a second only to um, totally, like, you know... I'm pretty sure Daniel was extremely, you know, put out by the fact that he was deceived by this whole thing. That he's like finally feels like he's he's getting in touch with somebody he can relate to because it's his family. But you know, this guy's an imposter. So every chance he tries to have at having these human connections seems to be failing. Yeah, like like he said, he is not good good at people and that and he he said that he had it inside of him he didn't want other people to succeed so like there's mm-hmm. just something there's just something in him where he, he is and foreshadows hw at the end there yeah so yeah he's just like he's like like he said like you said he's, he's just not good with people so <laughs> okay so uh rewinding a little bit back so yeah we already discussed how paul um tipped off daniel to uh what was going on in little boston so uh, daniel and um hw go up there they're gonna quail hunt and um yeah so then he wants to buy that the land from the um the sunday family right that sounds correct about that yeah right (laughs) yeah um 
And then Eli's already kind of onto this because um, he's like, oh, well, if you're going to if, if you're going to buy this, you know, we need ten thousand dollars for my church or whatever. And so this is kind of Eli's first little stab at uh, Daniel because they get this little um, feud going back and forth. Which uh, so what do you think about uh, Dano in this movie? Definitely plays the super religious leader very well. Um <laughs> I mean, definitely cult, cult status. Um, and I don't mean cult classic movie. I mean, like, dude's like, I'm the leader of a cult. Um, oh. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, but he, he had those people hook, line, and sinker, uh, believing in everything he said. Oh, yeah. I mean, you're talking about pulling the ghost out and, um, yeah, the the back and forth but between Eli and Daniel throughout the entire movie is is very interesting and intriguing to watch and how they play back and forth. Um, and I'm a little surprised, you know, when we get to the end, but I'm surprised that that maybe didn't happen sooner. Hmm. Um. So it kind of gets stirred up a little bit more when um, Eli essentially demands that he's going to be doing this blessing at the well. No big deal, just a few words, but Daniel is not having this at all. So that kind of uh, unfolds kind of a spell of bad luck on things for him, which is, it's interesting to say, I mean, you have the whole part at the end where, you know, Daniel's demanding that um, Eli say that God's a superstition, but there's there's aspects here of some... I wouldn't say there's any like it's interesting how religion gets played with here because there's definitely like karma involved I guess you could say but at the same time there's no like concrete like spiritual stuff going on at the same time more or more concrete business stuff going on because it's definitely a, a a feud between the two factors right oh yeah I mean definitely and you know it's you know oh the bad stuff happened and of course the religious leader is going to especially you know, one who is trying to give credence and, and, you know, get what he wants and what he needs from Daniel is like, well, of, of course, you know, you didn't let me bless it. So, you know, this, this is why this, all this bad stuff is happening. You know, it's clearly manipulating the fact that, you know, there were no like work standards and safety and all that kind of stuff back mm -hmm. then. So, um, if I say I spotted the searcher's shot, do you know what I'm talking about? I'm assuming it's a shot out of the front door of the church. Yep. yep. Well, you know, from the searchers, you have that iconic shot where it's just the doorway and then you can see off in the distance. Yeah. I, yeah. I noted another Western we spotted that in, but definitely noticed that a couple times here, Kill even on one instance Bill where... Ah, <laughs> um, there was one instance where it actually showed uh, Daniel and Eli within the frame, and it's like zooming up as they're like arguing in each other's faces. Great stuff, great stuff. Oh, yeah, there was definitely Apparently, uh, Daniel, of... um, Daniel Day-Lewis took uh, three years to get ready for this role. Three years to get ready for it? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Dedication, that's that method acting for you. Yeah. 
I went back and read my old review for like from like three or four years ago, and I think I understand stood a lot of these concepts maybe a little better than me. It's probably because I was looking at the wiki, but um, watching it through this time, it 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 was a lot more apparent what was going on. The fact that so Daniel has to make this pipeline to get the oil out because is it I think it might be Union Oil. Um, they're like the prices to export oil out of there is real 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 high. So Daniel has to do it himself. And he refuses to uh, sell out because he, um, you know, he sees yeah, he, himself as this like self-made man. He doesn't want to be bought out for nothing. Go yeah, ahead. he 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 partners with like the other oil company, like the smaller like Pacific Oil or something. I don't remember specifically, mm. but yeah, because the other the uh -huh. big oil company also owns the railroads, and so yeah, the 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 export tax um, or you know the fees or the shipping fees are you know eating him alive. But they offered, I mean to make him a millionaire on the spot and, you know, a millionaire in the early 1900s is a much different thing than just having a million dollars in 2023. Like while it's a lot of money in 2023, it is, it is an absurd amount of money in not like 1910 or whenever, you know, they make him that offer. So yeah, the, the the circumstance of the business and his like situation, that's probably why I probably thought the whole pipeline like laying scene was so dull the first time. It's just because I wasn't really, I guess, understanding what they were going for. And I guess probably the first time I was watching this, I was thinking they were probably in like Texas the whole time when they're actually in what not not far from uh, Los Angeles. Yeah, I don't think they're far from L.A. Or is it? Or is it, yeah, because I know Miami, they mention they mention L.A. and I think San Diego and I think San Fran at some point as well. So, um, but yeah, they're they're what's, somewhere in Cali. What's the name of the guy who plays his um half or pretends to be his half brother? Oh, that's a good question. I don't remember. Uh, da, 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 da. Let me make my point while maybe you're looking that up. Um, I'm a, yeah, I'm gonna one try thing to that find stood it. out to me a little bit more while flicking through it is, um, so he goes to this meeting with the guys about maybe lowering the transport prices. And at the very end of it, like he's like with his like more trusted confidant guy. Um, and he's yeah. just like, you didn't take him to the... He didn't say you didn't take him to that meeting, but you kind of, that's kind of the gist of it. And I wonder like subtly if like the, um, the big wig oil guys maybe downplayed Daniel some because he had this, the schlub at his side. I think that there might've been some subtle hints that, um, that might've been the thought process there. Possibly. Uh, it was Henry. Henry. So okay. it's yeah, Daniel like, and Henry. Did you, yeah. I forget if you said you didn't bring Henry or you brought Henry, but yeah, it's very surprised. It's a very surprised reaction from um, the guy that you you're kind of surprised that you don't see him more in the movie, uh, Fletcher, which is kind of his uh, confidant. Yeah, Fletcher. He's been in a lot of stuff, a lot of big stuff. Looking at his filmography, good lord. So yeah, and he was in Harry. He also doesn't like Potter's. the fact that his um. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he didn't like the fact. Oh, that um, his son's disability kind of makes him look weak as well. So another factor is driving his, because, you know, he's so competitive. So none of this can, you know, be transparent on him. Um, 
So you have um, you haven't seen the master yet, right? I don't believe so. That doesn't sound familiar. Okay, I think that was the movie that came out after this one. And there's that whole scene where like they're standing in like this like really thick looking green field, like, and he's like looking through this um, this spyglass trying to measure out the the pipeline. And that same kind of look and feel appears in the master. And there's a whole lot of shots like them on the beach and the close ups and stuff. There's just a lot of uh, visual elements that reminded me of the master. So, which is in there, it, they're so starkly different from, you know, being um, in this more desert setting for the rest of the movie. And I would definitely say the, the master is more of a cerebral movie. Um, kind of have the same feel of this, but that one's definitely, um, yeah, a little bit more cerebral. <laughs> Not that this one isn't. Strong themes here, though. Um, love that driving music to the the trek to the sea. Yeah. Uh, so, did you notice the, the the soundtrack much? I mean, I do remember noticing the that their their score and that it was good, and I enjoyed it. But I don't remember anything specific right this moment. Okay. Yeah, you gotta listen back from the, some of those screeching um, violins and stuff. Very very ominous. Um, I was surprised how, so once he finds out that Henry is not really his brother, he kills him and throws him and, um, uh, buries him out in the woods and all of a sudden Bandy finds him and essentially guilt trips him into, uh, having to get back with the, uh, the church of the, uh, third revelation, right? <laughs> and, uh, Eli, um, in order to get, finally get, um, permission to, uh, Put that pipe on the over that land, right? Yes. Oh my god. Sorry, I had a chat going on and I was trying to mute because it just went from being okay, yeah. doing nothing. So, but yes, um, yeah, he goes yes straight from killing, uh, killing Henry, um, mm -hmm. and then he wakes up and then yeah has to. Now he has to go and become a member of this church that he's been like in a feud with since its creation yeah yeah and so the last thing that happened was eli came up to him to like collect i guess some the rest of the ten thousand dollars but since the, the well hadn't been producing yet and daniel just smacks him in the face and throws him in the mud and so he's not too eager to go visit the church again but he must in order to get this final piece of land he's either like all right i'll pay you three thousand i'll pay you five thousand he's like no you must get baptized so that's the next part as he uh, yeah shows up and be he's baptized and Eli definitely wants to stick it to him as he makes him say how he's a sinner and he's abandoned his child, which I don't think he cares much about um, him stroking the his relationship with God, but he's definitely pissed off about having to say that he abandoned HW. Oh yeah, for for sure. Um Definitely. Did you know the little blonde girl that like embraces him after he gets baptized? That that was kind of a a, a long a, a long pause that I never really wouldn't know what to make of that one. I think I remember just taking it as that was um you know just somebody just a kid who's already had it you know like it's so good that you're baptized you're gonna you know you're saved yada yada um kind of thing that right, or it was right. um it was the little girl that um. It was like Eli's oh, sister. Oh, that's the same. The, Eli's sister, and she's the one who stopped. Or he, uh, didn't Daniel talk to her dad in order to get her to stop beating him, beating her? Yes. So, and, and that H, 
Yeah, and HW, um, like, was friends with or whatever, yes. Yep. Yeah, that's... Gosh, the Sunday's family's pretty messed up because you got... You got the dad beating on the daughter, and then Eli's beating on the dad. And yeah, it's not a happy household. Oh, yeah, no, not at all. Okay, so that brings us back to... Um, already mentioned H.W. coming back into the fold and, and smacking um, Daniel around. Um, this is the bookend of the, what we were talking about earlier, where those uh, the, the big wig oil guys were like kind of giving them shit and then um you got the bizarre scene where daniel when he puts a, a napkin over his face and and mockingly says how he got the best of them or whatever and then he's yeah and then it goes back to the scene you mentioned where you know you talked to about hw again i'm gonna slit your throat <laughs> so goofy and very menacing all at the same time for plain view Coming oh yeah to the uh he, towards the end here he's definitely like when you think of cutthroat businessman he's definitely the one that would come to mind so what is the principal theme that really kind of stands out to you here is it between daniel and hw is it between religion and oil is it between daniel and eli what what what's the most compelling for you greed it's just to me the whole thing is greed so kind of the way of the style of businessman he is. Yeah. So so, Daniel, everything is about money and and maybe success. Maybe be a little bit better because if it was just money, like I guess he would have taken the um, the buyout. But it's to it's it's to be the best. He doesn't care. It doesn't matter. He wants all the success at the. And it doesn't matter who he steps on to get there, even to the point we were talking about earlier when, um, you know, he, he tells Daniel and, you know, one of the last scenes of the movie, you're my competitor now. I'm going to have to, you know, make an example or whatever. And the dudes, you know, we're in the 20s, I think, at that point. So, you know, he's living in a big house with electricity and, you know, is super rich and like, you know, everyone else is probably about to be into the depression pretty soon. And he is, you know. Yep. To have every, every that's luxury. exactly what Eli's bitching about. All his investments have dried up because the, the yeah. Dust Bowl is, is, about, is about to storm up. Yeah, and so he has everything anybody could ever want, but he still wants more. And then when it comes to Eli, Eli wants everything for this church. And whether or not the church is how he thinks he's he's going to use that church to get out of there and then become a big and like famous preacher, I guess. Um, and then uh -huh. have the power and success that would come with that. And he, he kind of has, I guess the power as a, as a spiritual leader, but he, like you said, he never has that money. So to me, it's just the, the greed or the desire to have kind of everything and how both of them went at it from different kind of different points of view but very similar in their their actions to kind of get there um although i think power too because he has power yeah. over his whole congregation like daniel yeah. has power over this whole town's economic future now yeah and then over his crew and over everywhere that he goes he you know he has the power and it was about him having the power over the big oil company and then eli wants the power over daniel um because i mean i definitely 
feel like he went and talked to Bandy and that was, you know, hey, make him get baptized, you know, and I'm sure he reveled oh, yeah. in that. Absolutely. 100%. Yeah. yeah, while I was writing my notes, I really got lost in this this interesting thought about how Daniel is, like, rich in, like, financial wealth, why Eli is rich in, like, spiritual wealth, and they both find, like, their own sorts of power and, and the big conflict of the movie is Daniel doesn't understand how his financial wealth can't isn't equating into happiness because he you know he doesn't have that spiritual that wealth which is where karma kind of come plays in, um, but you know kind of leaves it empty at the, uh, empty on that side as well because Eli doesn't seem to be getting much from above, <laughs> um, but I mean his greed's kind of showing its cracks too right. Oh yeah, I mean and he's. You know, he, he tried to get, you know, he made he essentially made the deal with the devil, being Daniel, to get the money to build the church and, you know, to build the oil rig and all of that in the town. And, you know, their paths have intertwined again when we get to the end. And, yeah, he, he's out of money. His, his investments have went bad or, you know, because everything's just drying up. And um, so there he is again, you know, tr- you know, he, he wants to maintain that power or, you know, whatever it is that he's, um, or maybe money for the congregation or what have you. And it's just, he's, he's just at Daniel's footstep again, trying to negotiate yep. with someone who's just a more savage negotiator, tactics, everything. Sure. Crazy how long this final mansion scene is as we flash forward. Um, HQ, or not H, not HQ, HW has married um, his uh, deaf friend that he, um, he might have been the daughter of his interpreter, not exactly sure. Um, but yeah, it's, it's crazy how long this scene is. Daniel does exactly what he said he was going to do. He, he locks himself up. He's even have like target practice in the hall. So he's, he's quite the. Um, the miser, the, um, recluse, you know, yeah, recluse shut in kind of deal. Um, HW says, you know, he's proud of himself. He's getting married. He's going to move down to Mexico, be his own oil man. Cause you know, that's what Daniel basically trained him to be, but Daniel can't stand that as- aspect of competition. So this news definitely sours his mood and, um, he can't take it. And so he has to lash out at him, unfortunately, instead of, you know, just letting him go. Uh, but this puts him in a fabulously bad, goofy mood for whenever <laughs> um, Eli wakes him up. Because I guess after... Th- oh, yeah. He, so after that happens, the next time when we see Eli, he um, Daniel's uh, passed out drunk in the bowling alley. So, yeah, it couldn't have been that great of a night after that news. Yeah, he's just passed out in the middle of the, the bowling lanes, like a plate of food, just... And his servants mm-hmm. like trying to wake him up or his aid or whatever. <laughs> Which he starts eating as Eli's talking to him. <laughs> yep. Oh, yeah. and then we have the whole drainage, Eli. Drainage, my boy. Because um, Eli has gone out. He has not found any success. He's come back to little Boston. Apparently his buddies with the, the Bandai family... Um, he thinks he's going to be an actor, and so now they need some funds to, to get that going. And so they go back to Daniel to, to do some more drilling. But Daniel lets them know that, hey, all those wells are connected to that well, and you are shit out of luck. And Eli 
kind of goes wild about this 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 idea and then you know daniel finally puts him out of his misery with a few good whacks of a bowling pin and says he's finished he's satisfied he's gotten that blood that um finally might make him happy at least for now <laughs> yeah um i know it, the end just you know he, he you know you you have this struggle between these two characters you know for the entirety of the movie and obviously that's now ended with uh with daniel killing him you know whacking him with the bowling pin like also eli puts up like he runs but he doesn't put up like any real fight and like at the same time you're like dude you're so much younger than this guy like you feel like you would have been able to get away from him um or fight him off to a degree but he I guess maybe he doesn't think that Daniel's going to, you know, actually kill him. And obviously he's kind of knocked out after that first hit, but the, the movie itself to me, it just, um, you know, he, you know, he hits him and he's like, this is, you know, I'm done. And then it just ends. And it, I don't know. It feels like there should have been something else there. I don't know what, but it just, it feels, feels like there should have been, just a little bit more right there, and I don't I don't know how to pinpoint it and say what it should be, but mm-hmm. yeah, I can definitely see that. I think it's a perfect ending, but I can I I I could always use more of this story. Um, maybe one of the best character pieces ever. Uh, captivating western about business and life, cool setting, awesome music, characters, and story. Five stars, even better than the last time I saw it. I gave it four. So, which was better than the last time I had seen it as well. Okay. You remember what you rated it the first time? Like three or two and a half? I think, I, well, I think um, I'd seen it well before I had Letterboxd, but I think when I rated it, when I put it into Letterboxd, I had put it at like a three, just as a okay. probably like, I didn't like this movie, but this movie is good kind of thing. So. Cool, cool. Yep. All right, feature two. You want a break or you want to jump right into it? Oh, I'm good if you're good, brother. All right, The Kingsman, The Secret Service is from 2014. Spy action comedy film directed by Matthew Vaughn. The first installment of The Kingsman film series and it's based on a comic book of the same name. Yeah, way too long to get to this one. I was actually going to watch this with my father like four or five years ago. And like, he's like randomly like, oh, I already watched that. And so we ended up watching something else. So yeah, have yet to watch any of these movies. And I was missing out. Um, kind of a souped up over the top James Bond. Um, oh, yeah. You want to read 100%. the fun facts this time? Yeah, I mean, especially that's a, I think that's a good description. When you think about the other movies Matthew Vaughn has directed. Kick-ass, first oh, class. Okay. Yeah, uh, so. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, some fun facts here. All of the action is framed centrally. Um, the viewer's eyes never need to leave the center of the frame. Which I found that extremely helpful. I mean, yeah, everything is just is just right there. Um, the entire concept of having trainees kill a dog they've been paired with comes from the Nazi training of SS officers. SS officer candidates were required to kill their training dogs to demonstrate their lack of feelings and willingness to obey orders. That sounds 100% on brand for the Nazis. Um, it was crazy to see that in this movie. And there's actually a lot of ties to World War II um, in some of my reading I was looking at. Um, apparently it was... Um, oh, that's the next fun fact. But yeah, go ahead. Yeah. 
So yeah, during and in the lead up to World Wars One and Two, uh, the British intelligence service often used tailor shops as fronts for their activities. And then it all, excuse me, turns out that Sam Jackson um, overcame a lisp and then surprised the director by bringing it back out for this movie. Yeah. Um, yeah, that fun fact happened to note how, like, you know, it's typical for Bond villains to have, like, some kind of little disability. So, yeah, it was interesting to hear Sam Jackson sound like that. I can't believe that's his, his real, like, you know, he originally was doing that all the time. And, um, yeah, but, yeah, he's, he, he brings a lot, of, a lot of good character to this, um, to this romp of a uh, spy flick. Oh, yeah, I mean, and... You know, there's they 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 don't hide that they're influenced by it. They talk about it. Um, so yeah, no, I think I I I enjoyed all the little quips um, with everything there. So have you seen the rest of the movies? I've seen the second one. I have not seen the third one, which I believe is a prequel. But I haven't seen yeah, the second one right. probably since it came. Like I didn't see it in theater, but I saw it. You know, once it was on Blu-ray or streaming or whatever. Do you remember that one being any good? Um, I remember it not being as good as this one, but I remember enjoying it. It has another insane cast with another, if I'm not mistaken, hugely named celebrity as the villain. And it has another big fight piece, um, to a classic rock song. Um, so yeah. Um, and it has the aforementioned Channing Tatum in it. Um, G.I. Oh. Joe in it. So, yes. Okay. Okay. Um, there's actually... Oh, there was a G.I. Joe um, Easter egg at the very end of the, the last Transformers movie. Yeah, I think I heard that. Um, oh, talking about the, the one that just came out, the Beast Wars or whatever? Yeah, the, yeah, the, the Lack of the Beasts, I guess you could call it. I don't know. Um, right, right. So... Tatum. So yeah, this movie kind of felt like um, Men in Black meets like Loyalty to King and Country. Definitely had some of those vibes of like. I'll get to that in that that movie reference in a moment, but um, yeah, just yeah, James Bond, but a whole lot more violent and wacky and yeah, but still some of those flares. So um. Yeah, where do you want to... Let's see, uh, Eggsy got a, a medal from his dead dad, just like uh, Bruce Willis in Pulp Fiction. And oh, yeah. Well, has the little number that bails him out of jail. Yep, 100%. Just um, no no long diatribe about having to, to keep it up his ass for a couple of years. <laughs> um, nope. So, um, that, and, you know, Fortune you got to... And you did get to see, you know, how the how his dad died and stuff. So it kind of kicks it off. You see, kind of where this movie's going to go with the the violence level, um, pretty quickly. Yeah, the the whole like um like zooming towards that like Middle Eastern like castle thing with like rocket shooting and heavy metal music going. I was like, what am I watching? Like Tropic Jungle Part Two or something? This was kind of a strange opening. But yeah, no, they 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 led you in pretty good. I mean, he's Tropic Thunder. I'm sorry, not Tropic Jungle. <laughs> I figured that's what you meant. That's one I still haven't seen either. Somehow, some way. You have um, never seen Tropic Thunder. I have not seen Tropic Thunder. No. 
I've, wow, I've also never seen Super Troopers. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, those are a lot of wacky, fun ones. Hmm. Yes, I was... I don't think I, I recall seeing Mark Hamill in this prevalent of a role other than him and being Luke, and obviously we know them, know that he does the, the Joker voice. Yeah, I had forgotten that he was even in this movie. Um, again, it had been a hot minute since I'd seen it. The main thing I really remembered was the, the church scene and the girl. I mean, obviously, I remember Sam Jackson was the bad guy. And then the girl with the, the blade feet. Um, yep. So. Um, the, yeah, she the was guy, cutting people up like that, uh, that cube movie. Oh, yeah. She was just slicing and dicing. Um I did notice this time around the first guy who comes to save Mark Hamill who gets killed is Commander Norrington from Pirates of the Caribbean. Like I heard his voice and I was like, that's oh, okay. Norrington. Yeah. I had to go and had to go and look it up. So yeah, no, this movie, it's a pretty absurd cast um, overall. So, um, so, but it's so interesting to see like Mark Hamill, but he's not like a superhero or a villain or something. Cause you know, he was in, a couple episodes like Flash, and then he had, you know, you know, like he's Joker. So it's just interesting to see. He's like, he's a scientist and like a coward. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Typical uh, young protagonist in an action movie with an asshole father figure that's probably beating on his wife, uh, beating on his mom or whatever. And it's definitely not, not nice problem, to him or whatever. Definitely beating on the mom. And he's like, the leader of like the local crime syndicate. I don't want to say syndicate, but thugs, kind of a thug group, right? Yeah, like he's a leader of the local gang, I guess. Eggsy definitely has some uh, big time moves. Um, pretty good at driving cars as well. And of course, it's all because he's a soldier. You know that that makes it so you have these these awesome fun abilities that you would never expect from your typical British bloke. Yeah, you're British, poor British boy. Um, but yeah, then he, he, the, he steals the car and just, it always amazes me when they do these car chase scenes where one of the cars is driving backwards the whole time. And it's like, there's no way because no one's brain is reacting that quickly, like driving around buses and stuff. And, but then, um, so, you know, he ends up getting arrested and you know, he, he falls on the knife for his buddies so, yep. and then but yeah, he, he busts out that um that little trinket which has the bailout number, and so that gets him on the track to being recruited for the Kingsman. Yes, um, and they do. Um, they go to the the tailor shop. Um, Colin Firth was great. Um, just. Uh, the well, I guess before the Taylor. Yeah, you're not used to first, see. Last time we first, saw him was in the King's Speech, so yeah, yeah, much much different character for him in here. So this, uh, we were always talking about who the next Bond is going to be. Like this, it's it's Colin Firth, right? Like, yeah, I, mean, I definitely think he could do it. Why not? Yeah, but yeah, you see him. Uh, they, you know, the manners maketh the man, and he locks the door, and then you get to see him with the really cool umbrella that's bulletproof and has like shotgun shells in it and just kind of beats the hell out of all those blokes in the in the bar and then this watch has got the 
the sleep dart to keep the owner from calling the cops. <laughs> yep, he said if he just could finish his beer, he'd leave him be, but he couldn't let him have that last sip. Um, yeah, so aggressive. The uh, the action so that like because you have like people like smashing up against each other and then like suddenly like someone will like fling this way and get their tooth knocked out or something or yeah it's just yeah the action in this movie was very very, very easy to take in and very fun yeah. mm-hmm. oh yes it was a very fun action movie for for sure I thought it was odd how Colin's office had all those Sun Times clippings all over it I guess that's the British paper. Yeah, well, he he explained that that um each one of those were after he did something where he like saved the queen or saved somebody that those yeah. were the headlines. They were all about some celebrity that you you know it's we don't do this for fame. We we do this you know because it's what's it's like the right thing to do. And I guess that was right. his reminder. Country James. Yeah. <laughs> so, of course, Eggsy can do parkour. Did you expect anything else? I mean, I mean, parkour. Who can't do parkour? I mean, even, even yeah. the guys up in Dunder Mifflin can do parkour. So why can't Eggsy? Who? Um, the Office. Dunder uh. Mifflin, the paper <laughs> company. Parkour. They can't really do parkour, but you know, parkour. I've never seen The Office. I've only seen it through one time. I thought it was fine. I don't. I'm not obsessed with it like a bunch of people, but. The, the episode where they're all trying to do parkour is pretty fucking hilarious. <laughs> I thought the their little, like, how they got a tube, kind of like when you go to the bank and, like, they send the teller the uh, the information through the tube. That that was kind of yeah. neat, how that was their transport system and, like, ridiculously far away. And then um, when they get there, they, they look through that window and there's, like, all these, like, jets and planes and tanks and all kinds of shit. And it's like... Hmm. A little excessive uh, armory there. They didn't use any of that for the fun, the, uh, the finale either, did they? No, not really. They just just did shenanigans. Well, I guess they did use the the float up to space suit with the rocket or whatever. I guess that was kind of fancy. Yeah. <sighs> have you seen Ender's outdated. Game? I have not seen Ender's Game. Okay, so the the part where like they're all like like last one standing candidate kind of thing is definitely like Ender's Game here. Um, yeah, so they're all making fun of Eggsy, and he come, he makes friends with the, the one girl in the class. I think there's only one girl. Um, two girls. With their first start. challenge. Oh, okay. Because one of them dies then, in the first challenge. Oh, that was a girl in the first one? Okay. Yes. So the first challenge is they're sleeping, and all of a sudden the room fills up with water, which apparently whenever they were they went to film it for real. It went. It all. It all. It all went wrong, and they had to like rescue everybody out of the tank and stuff. And it was not. Oh good. shit! <laughs> that was apparently the first day of shooting. But um, oh, yeah, very intense scene day. with it. <laughs> yeah, not at all. But um, yeah, Eggsy goes into some serious beast mode where they then what swimming from one side from like trying to open the door, and then he like punches through the glass. It's, yeah, it's, what's this guy can't do? Yeah, I mean, he didn't Meanwhile, stop Colin Farrell, uh, not Colin Farrell, Colin Firth, right? You hate yes. Colin Farrell. Yes, I do hate Colin um, Farrell. <laughs> he goes to visit Luke Skywalker, and he gets, I guess, drugged or something, and that puts him well, out for, that, like, 
a long, long the time. In, they blow up the implant that's in the back of, or Sam Jackson blows up the implant in the back of, um, behind Mark Hamill's ear. And I guess it had some sort of drug or the explosion or something concussing. So. Cool, cool. See, this is why we need Joey here to fill us in on all these, these <laughs> things I didn't, I didn't pay attention to the first time when I was just seeing people get kicked in the face. Um, <laughs> Roadhouse. Roadhouse. Yeah. Roadhouse. <laughs> oh, the look of those security guards' faces whenever they see the la- the sword lady like um, the sword leg lady like chopping through their limbs. Uh, yeah, they were not expecting that. Yeah. Um, I want to know first of all, where where's the backstory on how she got the leg, like the sword legs, and how is she so good with them? Because like she was. Um, she was she was pretty slick. I ain't gonna lie. She kind kind of be real. They kind of bitched her out at the end when they killed her. But mm, oh yeah, with the little little scratch from the the poison shoe blade or whatever. Yeah. So. So the plot here is that Sam Jackson wants to give the whole world free network service by giving you a implanted SIM card, but unfortunately, this also makes it so. He can be Thanos well, a, and make people kill each other. It's not an implanted. He gives everyone the the SIM cards and you just put them in your phone or whatever. The people who were in on it with him had the implant in their neck and it was supposed to protect them from the sound wave. But it also meant he could blow their heads up oh. if um they decided to talk. Yep. Yep. Oh, okay. Yep. It's been a couple of days since I watched this. Thank you. Um... Let's see. Yes, the death games are all about trust and leadership. As, let's see, the... I'm blanking to the uh, the parachute one, where yeah, they that's said the... they, not everyone had a parachute, but they did, and yeah. Yeah, yeah so um, so basically the girl that Eggsy has befriended, she's, she's like in the front of the competition. So basically, they have to jump out, parachute, not get seen on radar and land on the target. Um, and then they get told part of the way through that not everybody has a parachute. So Eggsy starts coming up with a plan and then one guy gets scared and parachutes out. And then they start, mm-hmm. you know, one by one, you know, going through the plan until and then she, uh, he pulls at like less than 300 feet and he, he goes to get in Merlin's face, but none of them are as crazy as Keanu Reeves who jumped out of a perfectly good airplane without a parachute. <laughs> so. Indeed. Um, Colin catches up with Sam L. Jackson at his uh, evil lair, and he serves him some tasty cheeseburgers to go with some wine. So that's a quirky moment yeah, that for was, our that was a, actors. That was in- interesting where they're talking about, like, this, like, new non-fancy food, but, like, pairing it with, like, really expensive wine. Um, I thought, I, I mean, I thought it was pretty hilarious that, you know, it's like, well, yeah, of course I've had McDonald's with this 1930s wine or whatever. Of course. Like, bah. so <laughs> they sure had a crazy arsenal for getting people to freak out and quit between what they, um, so they send them on a, like a mission where they think they're doing something, but then all of a sudden they get drugged and 
like what tied to railroad tracks and yeah so they, so they, they tried were to get them all to crack that way so so the final three so eggsy the girl and the main other guy who's kind of like been bullying eggsy the whole time um you know like super like rich snobby guy they all have to pick up the same girl in a bar and so they're all talking shit and then they all get roofied they get rehypnolled and um yes they all wake up tied to railroad tracks where the dude's like tell me about the kingsman blah 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 um and eggsy basically tells him to go fuck himself and lo and behold there's a trap um the the railroad goes down the train goes over him and he's safe and then the girl survives and then the rich dude's like fuck it and he's just like telling all the you know michael kane's characters uh which i guess was galahad lancelot i don't remember arthur he's arthur so he's like this is he's arthur and he's blah 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 and so he ends up you know getting kicked out and it's just then at that point down to eggsy and the girl whose name i cannot remember to save my life and that was the then it came down to the shooting doggo challenge yes and then is when we got the shoot the dog um challenge which that part was pretty messed up that was that was after no i guess that was before yeah it was before the church scene so it's before yeah before the climax yeah um yeah because that kind of it, it that kind of um escorts in our um third by our third act slump where we think roxy roxy, roxy is her name yeah that's the girl's name oh, okay and then knife, he knife, he's kicked out Mm-hmm. Yeah, knife knife foot girl is gazelle. Oh, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, that's that was the one part where I thought the movie did went a little too far, where they made him seem stupid because he didn't have the trust, knowing that it would be blanks in the gun. I don't know. I thought that was all kind of a little twisted, but well, I mean, they they, they said there Nazi were no more tradition. safety, mm-hmm. and they said that there were no more safety nets, and like. I guess the idea is also where Eggsy took and pointed the gun at Arthur, like he was almost going to pull the trigger and then didn't. So, like, what if he does pull the trigger, like, kind of thing? So, but I mean, it, it it was fine. Yeah, the um, their cool closet with all the the gear and the weapons, not quite as cool as like Matrix and Men in Black, but I see what's going for. Mm, yes, but Oxford's not Broge, or whatever. Um, so they tied that back in, which was kind of cool. So, um, um, so you do remember the uh, the bigot church? Uh, Colin's trying to leave there, and then all of a sudden, all hell breaks loose because it's a setup, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, they were already going there, but he he knew that they were listening because he he had. Um, Sam Jackson's character had put like a tracer in the wine when Colin Firth was there and then he ended up at the tailor shop getting fitted um, which circles back around to another thing later Um, but he tells him to get a top hat you know the top hat's got a listening device and so he knows he's going to be there at the church and that was they were going to test there anyway just to see what happened and then you get this crazy ridiculous action scene where um colin first trying to leave 
And then this lady stops him, and that's right when the frequency goes off, and he just, like, straight up domes this girl in the head. And, um... Then the whole church just breaks out, and everyone's just trying to kill each other. They just all don't happen to have the training that Colin Firth has as a member of the Kingsman Secret Service. God, Michael Caine was kind of a D-bag in this. Oh, yeah, 100%. Michael, Alfred was not great. Yeah. So uh, he buys in on Sam Jackson's whole little plot, and yeah, so the Kingsman guy is in on it, and yeah, that's no good. Yeah. Well, one of the other thing here real quick is at the end of the church scene, um, Colin Firth walks out and he's confronted by Gazelle and Sam Jackson and his crew. And he, you know, tells him, hey, it was, a, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, this is how I did it. And he goes, well, this is like those old movies we used to enjoy so much. Um, this is where I'm going to tell you my whole plan and you're going to come up with an even more complicated way to get out of it. And he's like, except it ain't that kind of movie and just shoots him in the head. Um, good moment. Great moment. Yeah, it's like, God damn, just, yeah, just, just not this kind of movie. Shoots him right in the head. And then, yeah, you see, um, Eggsy goes, Eggsy was watching everything through the the computer from, from Colin first house through his glasses. And he goes back to the Kingsman. And it's kind of weird if he's supposed to be kicked out, how he's back in the Kingsman, but he goes in to talk to Michael Caine. And Michael Caine's like, well, here, we're going to give you this, this, you know, this whiskey that's from like the 1800s and we only drink it when a Kingsman dies. And mm-hmm. he figures out that the setup is on. He sees the scar and then he pulls some slide of slide of hand and um, Michael Caine ends up poisoning and killing himself. Yep. And the big plot here is like a reverse Noah's Ark. So Sam Jackson and his, all his uh, his friends are going to be hanging out in safety as the rest of the world is tearing each other apart from not hearing the the way or uh, not being blocked because like you had mentioned earlier the people that are in on it have a chip that blocks it but they can also get their head exploded like animated fireworks which was kind of pretty funny yeah that was uh when they get to there um man, that was pretty funny so yeah they um he so it's roxy Eggsy, and merlin and they're like on this jet and they've got a they're going to try to blow up one of the satellites. Mm-hmm. So they put Roxy in the suit, who I guess is now Lancelot. Um, Who's like floating up to space. Yeah, they to, yeah, she's scared of heights, didn't want to jump out of the plane, and they're putting her in this suit to float up to the edge of the atmosphere. Um, <laughs> Oops. <laughs> to, to shoot a satellite. Um, which she does, and then parachutes back out. But then... Uh, Sam Jackson just like borrows someone else's yep, satellite over another one. Meanwhile, yeah. Eggsy's being a pretty sweet James Bond running around that rock uh, layer with metal doors. Very, very Bond. Oh yeah, that was such a Bond like layer kind of thing. And yeah, he's they they used Arthur's code to get in his phone or whatever, and they got in, and he's running around trying to find um find everybody and save everybody. And then the rich kid who, um, who was the last person eliminated uh-huh. finds him and turns him into Valentine, which is Sam Jackson's character and things go out of hand. There's a big fight between gazelle and Eggsy, and he hits her with the knife boot with the poison. Uh-huh. 
and then he's just still running through shooting guards, just endless, endless guards. Um, and then they can't leave because there's so much artillery and then they, they hack it and they set all the chips off and just kill every, they killed everybody that was in the layer. They killed like the entire U S cabinet and, uh, Barack Obama. They don't show that it's Barack Obama. It's just heavily applied that it's Barack Obama. Um, Michael Caine. Yeah. Was a think about when it came out and it was a black president. So, okay. Yeah. So basically watch the part. That part's blinking on me, but, um, um, go go ahead. Yeah. So it's just, um, basically every world leader who went along with it also died. Um, they all got their heads exploded, but there was just this big musical score to the timing of the, the heads being exploded and, Let's see here. Oh, um, it's, it, it kind of cracks you up because Sam Jackson have to have has to have his like hand on this little pad in order for all the chaos to continue going down. And so like he's there and like he is, it goes to like this beach with everyone beating the shit out of each other and then he lifts it up and then they stop and then they, they resume. Um, but one of the things they cut away to is this mother and she has this kid in an umbrella stroller just in the in the bathroom, which is, is odd in that's, the first place. That's Eggsy, it's Eggsy's mom. Yeah, that's, it's Eggsy's that's mom what... and little and, and sibling. Okay. And they had Roxy um, when when he didn't think they were going to be able to stop it. They had Roxy call her and be like, "Hey, sequester yourself from the kid so you don't hurt the kid." Oh, okay. So that makes sense why <laughs> yeah. awkwardly in the bathroom. But the whole the it definitely feels like something pulled right out of The Shining, right? With the mother trying to tear through the door with a knife. I mean, that is here's Johnny. Like, I mean, that is definitely what we were saying when watching it. So, okay, just getting some concordance, uh, concurrence, right, right, all right. Um, yeah, after she sat da- shot down the satellite and makes it back to that uh, snowy wherever she was, uh, he's just kind of pacing around his egg- eggsies doing all the shooting she didn't have much to do at that point i thought that was yeah funny. you don't even see her anymore which is kind of i mean i guess she's not the main character but she's the one who made it in mm-hmm. uh we get that that's not this kind of movie as eggsy gives sam jackson his um taste of his own medicine with in in the plot and then yeah it, it ends in nice james bond style with him sweeping up the, the swedish princess who is ready to get with him because it's not the crazy people she was with before. Yeah, that and the the motivation she gave him was just ran. It was kind of because you don't really have any of that kind of like stuff going on in the movie. And then all of a sudden, it's like we saved the world. We can do it in the butt. And it's like, what? Where did that come from? Oh yeah, that's what you're getting at. Yep. Yeah, it does and say then, that, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, and then he goes in to save her, or he saved her, and he. He has Merlin get him in there, and then he locks himself back in the room because he pulls the door shut. But then Merlin can see through his glasses and just like shuts the computer screen. Yeah, he's like, "Oh my!" Yeah, very, very Bond. And then we get a uh, mid-credit scene where a during-credit scene where it uh, basically bookends um, Collins' bar fight scene, and Eggsy's about to do the same kind of shit. So. Goes around, yeah, comes he, around. He, yeah, and it's like it. He, he hits the his stepdad, 
or his mom's boyfriend, and then it's all the same thugs that were there before. And it's like, you guys want a round two? Like, really? But. Oh, yeah, it was. <laughs> that is pretty bizarre. Yep, big action romp. Lots, uh, some grit. I enjoyed it. Yeah, four stars. Four, and I think I looked at it at four and a half. So I really, really enjoy that style of, like, the way they did the action. It's super stylized, so. Yeah. Enjoy it quite a bit, too. I have to watch the follow-up. Sequel. All right. So, Joey, what are we going to watch next time? All right. So, this is one that I own and have been wanting to watch for a while. Um, I've got a sweet Eureka release of it, so I figured it was time to dive into it. And that is okay. The Last Hurrah for Chivalry. Oh. It was a John, John Woo kung fu movie oh neat okay never heard of it it's also in the collection now so you obviously will like it <laughs> that's not necessarily true but i do appreciate getting the chance to watch ones that i have not aware of <laughs> um i am gonna go with my i think it's gonna be my last of my kind of favorite movie series and let's uh let's finally watch amadeus the uh, Best Picture winner from the 80s. Okay. I have never seen that. Yep. It's quite the musical spectacle, but hopefully one that you'll enjoy. Oh, I mean, I do like musical movies, so I am... I am down. Cool. I am down to clown. All right. And if you'd like um, us to answer any questions on the show, just send that over to where now, Joey? Uh, you can email us at the Average Joe's Movie Clubcast at gmail.com. Um, you can go to our Facebook page. There should still be a button that lets you just automatically email us, or you can just leave a comment there. Um, we're we're both individually on Twitter. There's also uh, an Average Joe's Movie Club class. X. <laughs> Twitter, X, triple X, whatever, uh, Twitter, uh, the <laughs> platform formerly known as Twitter. Um so yeah, all of those places. Um, we would definitely love to hear from you guys. Um, we do, do enjoy getting feedback and sometimes even doing shows with some of you guys. Um, yeah, it's 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 a lot of fun. So Joey, why do we do this show? Because we love talking about movies and seeing people's heads blow up. Good night, everyone. Go Tigers! Oh, Gamecocks! That's weird. Ooh. Just might be my mate.